Let me just set the energy for this episode straight away, okay? Today can suck it. This week can suck it. This whole year can suck it. Today the lockdown finally sinked in in my head and I hated it. I hated it so much, but then you know what? Then I stopped hating it. Wow, this is not a self-help podcast. This is by all means necessary. Hi. <laughs> the energy is there. I'm your host, Maya. And today, boy, I'm bringing you so much today. The case I'm bringing you today is wild. It's probably why all of us are into true crime. Because you know what I realized, guys? What really gets people into true crime? It's not a specific kind of case. It's every case that has so much bullshit in that you're just like... Mm, so many lies, so much treachery. It's a treacherous weather, oh my god. I cannot say the word treacherous without remembering this one weather commercial. You know it, you've seen it. It's this, I don't know, was it Swedish girl or whatever, but she's just saying treacherous weather. I'll find it, I'll put it in here. Balina to Belmullis is completely impassable, causing serious flooding conditions for the town of Cross Malina. So all of the advice is stay away from that stretch of motorway. Um, it's, it's treacherous. And we will be following developments there. Um, I suppose Luna Cross Malina crystallizes just how treacherous the weather conditions are here in the west and the northwest. And this is what this episode is all about. Every con- every piece of content I have ever consumed, I'm offloading onto you. If you're watching this on YouTube, I didn't let my hair go this much. It's not grease. I just came out of the shower. So the joys, the joys of me recording from a living room. Th- there's plenty of them <laughs> because it's at the same time there's a mat here, <laughs> which is where I worked out. There's boxes of IT equipment for like that my husband works in. <laughs> the couch is moving. The couch is literally right in front of me. And then there's another chair and another desk there. It's everything. It's the office, it's the studio, it's a recording place, it's a workout place. Lockdown 2.0, baby, let's go, let's do it. Today it just threw me off my routine because it's the first day where I'm back to recording. As everybody knows, I record like a week before, so it's a Sunday now, like what, 8th of November, I'm recording like for the week ahead. And usually on my recording days, Sunday and Monday, I record in the morning, I go to the gym for a couple of hours, I return, record in the evening, the same thing on Monday. I'm a routine child, I would thrive in military or like prison. Yeah, that was my main worry of my parents when I was a kid. It's just like, she fries in routine a bit too much for, you know, like a normal kid. So today, I was like, boy, 
Now I need to walk for like three hours or something. And that sucked. But you know what isn't sucky? I have new merch out. Four new designs. That's why I have been super quiet on the social media. I mean, that and that that's the first thing I would offload onto somebody. Not even editing the videos in the podcast. That's how much I cannot deal with social media anymore. It's just so toxic, especially during the election week. So hey, if anybody wants to volunteer to be a social media manager unpaid maybe i'll pay you in food or something <laughs> you're welcome take it away i'll give you my login like today it's fine <laughs> it's, it's fine change the tone of it change everybody don't even call people fuckers it's all great four new designs of merch there's the nobody wins which is everybody knows I say all the motherfucking time. And it's kind of in this rainbowy LGBTQ style. It can be anything you want. Like, that's how I see it. But also, it's just so colorful and swirly and out of place. And I know that I'm biased here. But honestly, I know podcast merch. And this is one of the best fonts or just best pieces of podcast merch that I have ever seen. Also, if my friend allows it, I'll leave her handle here on the video so that you can actually follow her and ask her, you know, get her to do <laughs> to do this stuff for you. Because she's genius when it comes to design and when it comes to minimalist design. Then there's the motive, not the old logo. She like spruced it up and it kind of like shapes into a microphone if you really look into it. Then there's the merge of two worlds, as I call it, which is the motive, and then it goes into by all means necessary. And then there are two other designs, which is, one is nobody wins, but it's this Julius Caesar design. And I was like, where did this, how did you connect the two? And I just love it. It's just so simple, but so it looks so cool, especially on the sticker. And the last one is by all means necessary, triple tick. And that's completely an inside joke, but it can also be a podcast inside joke because, you know, I love it on a mask, especially. I would love to see pictures of you wearing masks saying by all means necessary. It would just bring me so much joy, just so much joy in today's climate, just everything. So if you want to get the merch, there are the standard links of Teespring and Redbubble, which are like for the quality stuff that you guys see me wear. I ordered the, the Nobody Wins now as well. So those are the standard ones, but I have also put it on TeePublic, because TeePublic does these sale periods of time, so go and catch it there, like, it's super cheap. Stickers are like £1 something, and then shirts are like £10, so go catch it there. I haven't ordered from there before, but I love their stickers, so I ordered those. So I'll keep the TeePublic definitely until Christmas, so you know, if you want to get a Christmas present for anybody, go get that motherfucking merch, because this one is just so brilliant, and I'm so excited about it. But now, without further motherfucking adieu, <laughs> I have never said it like that. Wow, I, this is my new thing. Yeah, let's let's second podcast on the Palm Network without further motherfucking adieu. <laughs> yeah, we're going into the third and the last twins case of the month. And boy, this one delivers. Has everything. Everything. If you are the OG listener, you know I have done silent twins in February. And I think it was that I posted like a kind of tweet. It's like a pair of twins, a killer kid and something else. I don't know. It's before I did team months. So I posted like, hey, a pair of twins walks into a pub. And I posted on the socials being like, can anybody guess who I will be talking about this month? And everybody went on to the twins thing and they gave me these two names and I have never heard about this case. So on this occasion I was like, oh, I remember that. Let me check these twins out. This case is everything. I was like, whoa, I understand. I completely understand why everybody was into this case because 
what the actual fuck is going on in Tazmaya's and Jazmaya's Whitehead's minds, or Taz and Joss, as I will call them for this video, just because I can. So we're diving straight in. Oh yeah, boy, this is this is wild. I cannot provide any further ado. Tazmaya and Jazmaya killed their mom Nikki Whitehead in cold blood in January 2010. Then they went about their day as normal and decided to stick by their alibi by all means necessary. It won't be until police poked holes in their story and found some very incriminating evidence on their body that they will be found guilty. What were their motives? <laughs> it's always my favorite part. Just, just finding the song is my favorite part. Okay, let's see. Back to work, back to work. <laughs> this genuinely brings me so much joy. No, not the murder case. The fact that I play it now on <laughs> live while on YouTube and I just, every time I turn around, you see the mess that this chair is hiding and I drink some booze. So, <laughs> today I'm putting you in the shoes of a police officer because the police really is, is the true hero of this case. Just, just the true hero. So just imagine, you're doing just your genuine, you know, rounds around the block, you're just driving in your car, and suddenly you have to hit the brakes, because one of the two girls, well, you only see one at that point, almost hit your car. My earring is falling off. You almost hit her, so you hit the brake and you're like, what the hell is going on? And you can see she has like some blood on her and she is hysterical. She's trying to get you to go into the house and he's saying like they came home from school and they found their mom in a bathtub. Which, at that moment, you probably are not thinking that that is very specific information, but now, looking onto it a couple of months later, you probably are, because that is super specific, but sure, you're like, okay, this is the case of emergency, you park up and you go into the house, you immediately call for backup. And sure, you find the mom, Nikki Whitehead, in a bathtub. The bathtub is obviously is full of blood and you just realize that this is the scene of the crime, that the victim is dead. So immediately as they're processing the crime scene, you and the other officers bring the twins who are still hysterical into the police office just to interrogate them, just, you know, their witnesses, obviously it's their mom. Immediately the question proceeds, who would want to do this to Nikki? And even as they're now outside, because they obviously put them into ambulance again to, to have them checked, so they're kind of driving, but they're driving into the, like in the ambulance car, so that they check them before this interrogation. And they see Tasmaya. So this is a moment where I'm gonna say I have heard so many different versions of the name pronunciation, so I'm sorry if I am mispronouncing it. So I've heard Tasmia, I've heard Tasmaya, I don't know, I'm just gonna stick to like what my God tells me sounds better, but it might not be correct, just say. So they see Tasmaya in the bank of this ambulance car and biting her arm. So they immediately stop her and they're like, what the hell are you doing? And she says like, oh, I just bite my arm on the rag, you know, when I'm upset. And they're like, uh-huh, sure, yeah. I mean, maybe understandable at the time, but they're like... 
We have seen multiple people, they get upset and they don't just like go clawing at their arm. It's not like you're biting your hand. It's not like you're biting your nails. It's you're biting your arm. And this is a murder case, right? So there are seasoned detectives being put onto it. It's not like they have given it to somebody green. But what they do immediately catches them off guard. So first of all, they didn't separate them for quite some time. So the girls were immediately hugging each other. And the best thing that comes out of this case, truly and honestly. So the officers are obviously, you know, it's a strategy to try to make them feel welcome, make them feel like at ease, and then just dive in with the, with the heavy questions. So the officer asks, like, is there anything that I can do to make this easier for you? And the girls say, can we watch CSI? <laughs> just, I mean, it is honestly something that I, I wouldn't put it past me, myself. But again, I am again not super dumb to do this while being interrogated by the police. Uh, and when I said, you know, what can I do to make this easier for you? They turned and looked at me and they said, can we watch CSI? And immediately, the hairs on the back of my neck stood straight up. Essentially, it was right then, and it was like, okay, this is... Something was very, very off. I didn't say their age. The two of them were 16. And I'm gonna play this recording. It's from Court Junkie. Court Junkie does great breakdowns. I just like it as a, as a podcast in general. Because they just proceed to talk about CSI and just discuss, the, just discuss like how the police operates and the forensics in those cases, at least their understanding of it, right? Because again, they're getting it from the television. Tesmia then tells the story of how in one episode, the suspect had gunshot residue on him days later. They always say gunpowder residue, like, they say, like, like, it stay on you, like, forever. Yeah. It's kind of difficult to hear. So it's difficult to hear, basically, but what they're arguing is the gunshot powder for, again, whatever reason. So they're like, oh yeah, we watched this episode of CSI and the gunshot powder basically can be detected forever. And the investigators, and I think at that point it's their grandma in the room as well, and they're like, no, it's like not forever. It can only stay for a couple of days. And then they're all joking and laughing about it. And it's quite eerie in a way. Like, all of the interrogations with these twins are just quite eerie because you can see that they're just not getting it and they're just not lying nicely as well. It's just off. And that's exactly what the detective said. The detective Swift said immediately the hairs on the back of his neck just stood up because they're like, what the hell? They are just in the police interrogation. They're like, hey, can we watch CSI? Like, that's what calms us down. Like, sure, bitch, but like, read the room. <laughs> It's like that's what comes all of us out that listen to this podcast. But like, there's a time and a place, Joss and Tass, okay? Also, they proceed, they're not just discussing gunpowder, they're discussing, I just I can listen to so much of this shit. How, if you don't take a bath, you're asking to get caught, and then they're like, ha ha ha, I mean, you didn't wash off the evidence, did you? And they're like, okay, so just taking notes, uh-huh, so what have you done with your day? How many baths have you taken? What you're not noticing is that this is sort of the beginning of the conversation. Now we're gonna proceed to the rest. But again, um, something that's very unmissable in these cases and again not telling people 
not giving people advice how to do true crime, but you need to know true crime to do true crime. Really, for sure, even if you're a 16-year-old out there planning to, to kill somebody. And detectives immediately saw through this. There's not a single moment that these twins ask, why are we here? That's your first question, if you are innocent or pretending to be innocent. Even if it is just interrogating witnesses, being like as a family interrogation, still, you would want to know, why are you there? Like, what are they going to ask you? Do you need a lawyer? Always get a lawyer, first of all. But why am I here is pretty much the baseline of police interrogations. Innocent or guilty. <laughs> I'm gonna embed this into this thing just so nobody removes it for copyright. But there are these videos of the two of them. And when they separate them, once they interrogate them, it's so obvious that they're crying, but without tears. It's so bizarre that they even attempt it. And it's kind of like... It's very easy, even though it's grainy footage, to see that they're kind of wiping off their cheeks, but there's just nothing to wipe. There's just no tears, no emotions. And immediately they noticed the lack of empathy that they had for their mother. They threw their mother under the bus pretty much straight away. Because on the scene, they noticed it's a gated community, right? So when they were on the scene, they noticed it's a gated community. It's one of those where you need to buzz yourself in to go inside. So A, the crime looked itself pretty personal. So it was done by somebody who Nikki knew, but then also it's definitely done by somebody who Nikki knew because they needed to buzz themselves in. So according to the girls, the night before, Nikki argued on the phone with her boyfriend and the girls immediately said, like, our mom, she, you know, the parting is not like a strange thing. She does it all the time. She is dating actually two guys. So, you know, you should definitely check that love triangle. We have seen enough CSI to know that. And they're like, CSI was actually about forensics, but sure, whatever you say. And then they said that that, that, that evening, <laughs> that this is the, again, if you are lying, this is such a shitty lie to be telling as a teenager. Again, just because you, you need to know better. You just need to know true crime. To do true crime. So they immediately go on to say like, oh yeah, our mom, actually she was partying and she came home late, like all drunk and we heard her on the phone arguing with the boyfriend and we were so bothered because we wanted to sleep, you know. We had school the next morning, we had to be up early and you're like, uh-huh, that sounds like a totally normal thing a teenager would say. Yeah, just complaining about their mom coming home late instead of what, them being outside and shit. They're like, wow, yeah, it's such a hard life. Bitch, please. Then they said that morning, because of all of that, you know, again, blaming it on their mom, just zero empathy. They missed the school bus, but were unable to get any response. So basically, they missed the school bus and, you know, they woke up, they knocked on the mother's door. She wasn't responding, so they were like, oh, okay, cool, like, she can't drop us off. When detectives retraced their movements on the day of the murder. What time did y'all leave the house? We missed the bus. But surveillance video from a nearby gas station shows the twins didn't walk to school that day. They actually hitched a ride from a stranger. We began catching them in, in lies uh, concerning their time frames or their details. They began to be very angry and would become argumentative and, and very uncooperative. Another thing is that they're saying it so matter-of-factly. It's like, oh, I mean, she must have been sleeping off a hangover. You know, it, it wouldn't be a strange thing for her to do. It's just like typical mom. 
Again, not that this is the how to get away with murder episode, but first rule of trying to get away with anything is not to put a victim under the bus. You gotta fake it. You gotta be that person crying and sobbing and losing your mind, especially if it is somebody that you should be this close to. They didn't get a note out of Maya's Bible here, no. Are you back? Did you bring goodies? This guy. This guy. What are we gonna snack on? What are we gonna snack on, boy? A boy? Don't you call me out and shit. This is questioning about you. This is questioning about you and your character, boy. And then they said they went to school as normal. They were just a bit late because of a school bus. And then they took the school bus back home. And once they went in, they again didn't notice it for quite a while. But they went once they went into the toilet, they saw that she was in a bathtub. And they immediately freaked out, ran onto the street to call for help. So right now, you might be empathizing, but like, again, it's still coming off as weird to all these seasoned police officers. There are multiple things that immediately struck them, and that is that they are giving them so op- so many options. They're technically trying to solve this case for them. They're like, okay, it must be a robbery gone wrong. It was in disarray. We didn't see if anything was taken, but the police officers are like, okay, but the TV and like all of your valuables, like any money or anything... That wasn't taken, so that would be the first thing robbers would take. They're like, hmm, true, true. And yeah, this is personal, you know. We have seen it on CSI after all. Did you know that she had two boyfriends? Yeah, not one, so you should investigate into that. And they're like, okay, cool, yeah, that now sounds more plausible. Let us make notes on that. And for me, personally, the next thing that comes out of their mouth by just Mia, just Maya, I I forgot which way I said I'm going to pronounce the names. Okay, Tass and Jazz. Toss and Joss it is. Cool. Let's do it. So Joss said that on the phone that evening, they were like, you know what? It might be her current boyfriend because on the phone to him last night, we have actually heard him, like mom had him on speakerphone and we actually heard him say, have a nice life, which for me just sealed it immediately. I don't know if any of these detectives was just, just heard that and was like, these bitches did it. For me, that was it. Because have a nice life is something you would most definitely only say up until a certain age. You are not out there being a 40 plus year old woman saying have a nice life. That's such a teenage impulsive, just acting on emotions, being like, have a nice life. I don't want anything to do with you. So yeah, that's the moment I knew that they did it. I'm not even trying to leave you on a cliffhanger here of, of who did it. Nope, nope. Also, the episode titles usually have, like, the names of the killers, so, uh, yeah, surprise! (laughs) And if it wasn't already for all of this bullshit, all of the lies that they had to sit through and just listen and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to make you feel comfortable, so I understand why they didn't bring this up earlier. However, the girls immediately looked weird as well as they sounded weird because both of them had gloves on, and this was inside... They weren't cold, nobody else was wearing jackets, it was completely normal. And they were like, oh, hey, so now that you feel comfortable talking to us, you know, just out of curiosity, why do you both have gloves on? And they're like, oh, yeah, we actually got in like a really brutal fight with one another. So, you know, we're just having cuts that are healing and all that. And they're like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. Noting down, basically, like, healing happens better if the wounds are open to the world and the public and if you express vulnerability. (laughs) Every single episode just turns into a self-help book. Jesus. So the investigators, of course, are like, okay, cool, listen, this is just general procedure, but we need to take, like, 
pictures of you know how your bodies look like obviously it's gonna not be taken by us but but it's for forensic uh, forensic pathologist so they're just gonna have to remove their gloves and then just you know take pictures of like your body see that there are no scratches we're gonna do the exact same thing with the boyfriends and then they move them on they continue with their life you know those um those pictures are taken and they look they start looking into the boyfriends so the cops soon learned that the girl's dad actually had the iron tight alibi he lived in canada at the time of the murder so they were like yeah he was pretty far away but then they look into nikki and she actually did have two boyfriends which again isn't i'm not saying it in a way that it made girls sound more reliable because it definitely didn't like they threw the mom under the bus they immediately didn't sound like i had an inch zilch of empathy but why immediately they knew that they won't be wasting too much time on this is when uh, the crime scene was read and, you know, those reports came back, they realized there was no sexual assault. Like, yeah, she was in a bathtub and kind of did look like it was violent, obviously, there was blood everywhere. But again, in those cases, usually you would have sexual assault. Or even if it's not sexual assault, she might have had sex just before the murder. It just looked like somebody was just angry, but they still had to look into the boyfriends. But immediately after testing DNA and just checking the GPS, so the tracking service and which towers it was bouncing off, they managed to discard both of them as well. So now the only focus that they have is twins, and the evidence on them is a mounting. It's just, again, because you are a police officer, this is a great day for you. This day when the pathologist calls you, tells you everything, when you get the CCTV footage, it's quite literally crystallizing itself in front of your eyes, and you're like, yeah, this was a lot better than that day when I almost ran over this girl, and she might have actually gotten away with murder by me doing that. So the security video from the Shell gas station near the crime scene, show the twins walking onto the street and getting into a car with the unknown driver around 10.15 a.m. And this would be long after they told the police that they have actually left home and managed to get to school. Then they look at the footage in the school and they ask the teachers and they were like, no, they came around like 10.30, sort of like around that time, which again gave detectives about two to three hours of the unexplained time. Where were the girls during that time? Because they have given them a completely different story. And finally, the forensics actually on that day make the call to the detective and they just give them an outline of everything. And then... A startling clue, almost as if it came from beyond the grave. To Nikki's credit, uh, she did not go down without a fight. Uh, and she left evidence on one of her girls as, as a marker. Remember when cops saw Taz biting her arm, explaining it away as a nervous habit? Detectives say she was trying to cover up Nikki's bite mark on her arm. So first of all, on the crime scene, apart from their lack of sexual assault, they, in Tassi's bedroom, they found what would be the most macabre case, probably, of this murder. And this was the pair of brown boots that had a significant amount of blood on them. And they were in this shoebox. So they're like, uh-huh, sure. So this is not even like you walked into the pool of blood with those boots on, right? No, this is like you purposely put them back in a shoebox. 
But again, this makes me love whoever was doing forensics on this because they were doing it so thoroughly. So obviously that rings a bell because they were like, so why were these shoes just not on the side? Like, okay, cool, you walked into the bloody scene, right? You walked into with these boots and then you're like, oh shit, I have blood on my boots, let me change the shoes. But then certainly if you're innocent, you would just leave them on the side or you wouldn't even change the boots. Cool, cool. I know that part, but let's say give them benefit of the doubt, like they didn't want blood on their shoes and they ran to, to call for help. But then in those bloody shoes, the detectives are like, let's examine this more closely. And they find a clump of hair. And it's not just any hair, of course, it's Nikki's hair, but once they test it, but it looks like it's pulled like right from the roots. So it just looks like it's pulled aggressive. It's not like, oh, somebody just pulled like this part of your hair off. It's a proper clump of hair and it's stuffed into that boot where like a big toe would go. It's quite specific and they try to hide it as far as it can possibly go and they're like, okay, once you again run it through your head, you're like, that is... I'm not even sure what to call that. It's not even premeditation, it's post-meditation. That doesn't sound right, but sure. Sounds like something I did after my meditation retreat, but you know. You were in the right state of mind after the gruesome thing that you have just done to the point that you have thought what you're doing with your shoes and what you're doing with the clump of hair from your mom's head that you have pulled up. It's just, it's post-meditation, it's calculation, it's, it's everything just tells me so much about who the girls were. It's just like, how can you think so rationally after you have just committed this crime? And finally, this forensic dentist, which is a cool profession, I didn't even know about it. It just sounds like a better than, you know, the dentist that you just go to. And they're like, no, forensic dentist, sir. Yes, that's me. So they examined the bite marks on the twins and compared them with tooth impressions taken from them and Nikki's body. And guess what they found on Tassi's body and Tassi's arm? So her left arm, the one that she was biting in the ambulance car? Yep, those bite marks were made by their mom. And I put, do you know how mad you need to be to bite someone related to you? Do you know, like, in what desperation you need to be? Obviously, as opposed to somebody not related to you sexually, Scorpio season is still in full swing as I'm recording this episode. Everything is aligned, everything. The stars have aligned or something. Everything is perfect sexually and just in general for me, except that I started this episode with really bad energy. It's how life works. <laughs> it's strong. It's just always strong with Scorpius, right? It's strong bad and strong good. Yeah, this is your daily horoscope for today. And even the autopsy now on Nikki as well. So it's not just these bite marks and everything that they have, which would already be enough. But they found human hair between Nikki's teeth, which again just proves that she was fighting for her life. Listen, Nikki was the biggest legend. This is what you need to do if your life is in danger. Just make sure you leave as much DNA as humanly possible on that human. Even if you are in like suspicious kind of situations like remember when I had Sakani shout out to Leah yeah Sakani on this episode and she said I don't know what did she say it for Patreon minisode or just for the actual episode for Girl in the Box back earlier this year and she was like no even when I was in a cab even when I was in a taxi and I didn't feel safe I was just leaving my fingerprints everywhere and not just like somewhere where they would be easily cleaned like below the seat you know like on the seat up front like just 
everywhere like on the handles but like inside she's like no if if this guy does anything to me my fingerprints are gonna be the hardest thing to clean like <laughs> pulling my hair a bit you know just making sure i leave as much dna as possible and yes that does sound like a what a paranoid person would do but also it sounds like something a smart person would do a true crime addict somebody who knows who just knows cool cool so now they have all of this evidence. They have the twins saying that they left the house at 7.30 a.m. and they had to walk to school, so they were a bit late. But then again, it's just three, two and something hours that they're just not accounted for. So they weren't just 10 minutes late for school. There's all of this evidence. And the police is like, okay, we are bringing them in again. Obviously now they bring them in and it's a completely different story. They just immediately are like, listen... We're separating the two of you right now. So Tars, you go into that room, just go into there. And then as soon as they separate them, because what is the main disadvantage about being a twin? Mm -hmm. Yeah, A, that you are a twin. B, that you are a twin. C, that you are a motherfucking twin. That's my conclusion of this month for twins. <laughs> Motive, they were twins. This is it. The bond was just too strong. Have separate personalities, have separate hobbies, don't just stick to one another and fill each other's heads with just dumbass stupidity. Let each other have their own personality. The biggest disadvantage of having a twin is yes, that you are a twin. You have this bond. So they were like, cool, now we, we know that. We have read horoscopes and books. So far now we're separating the two of you. And immediately they start giving the completely different versions of events. So Tas now said that the twins indeed were late to school. So yes, we have lied to you. But listen, we have had a reason. So Nikki actually started arguing with them and threw a pot at Joss. And then her mom grabbed the steak knife and the fight began. Then she said the mom actually during that fight managed to get out of the house and try to go to the neighbor to like bang on the door for help. So there was a blood trail that the forensics has actually found. So this part was correct. But then again, according to Tas, the mom did return and she returned with a knife and tried to plunge it into the daughters again. And this is when the fight just continued. And again, as I'm saying this, this is how they have said it. No empathy. Nothing. There's just no, like, no, this is my mom's fault. She started the fight. She threw the pot. I had to defend my sister. Then she plunged, tried to plunge the knife at us. Then why was she going to the next house for help? If she was the one instigating you, sure, she would have done a better job, like, cutting the two of you. She would have done a better job. She would have been the one sitting here, like, not going to the next house for help. But again, didn't watch enough CSI, did you, bitches? So these are the statements. Let's break down the statements. So Joss said, I think I picked up the knife and stabbed her. I think I stabbed her in the stomach. It was multiple times. Tas said, I think I had her hands and Joss her feet. It's kind of a joint effort. At some point in time, you did realize that morning your mom was dead. Yeah. What does she say when she's in the tub? Kill me now and I'll kill y'all. But what happened then? I'm sure that their confession was self-interested. They were looking out for themselves and had been coached by attorneys and they said enough to live up to their part of the plea. She was heavy. Uh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We just put her in the tub. The water was turned on. Again, 
as you see, I've done a lot of statement analysis things before. By that I mean I have read statementanalysis.com, not on this case, but on different cases, and listened to a bunch of podcasts. So first of all, I think it's kind of like you're not saying what you have done. So just by saying, I think I picked up a knife, it's probably, again, bullshit because you're saying you think you did it. You would say... I picked it up, or I have done it. Then again, I think I stepped it. It was multiple times. You're distancing yourself very much from this case. The other one as well, Tass is doing the same. I think I had her hands. She was heavy. We just put her in the pub. Again, no emotion. They're just distancing themselves and kind of blaming it on their mom. It's like, oh my God, this is like so much effort for us. And then when the detective was like, okay, so at some point you realized your mother was dead. And they would be like, yeah. And then kind of like hung their head just no again no emotion no tears just wiping their tearless face and while in the tub just said and nikki said kill me now or i'll kill you all and detective said like okay what happened then just said she went under a couple of times and that was it Uh, you know like yeah she voluntarily just went down in the tub went underwater and that was it (laughs) this case is getting to me So at that point, what the detectives managed to piece together is that they were up until 2-3 that morning. That part they think was correct. But what they think actually sparked the attack or the confrontation is that they didn't want to get up when they were awakened by their mom in the morning. Then they killed her and then spent a couple of hours just fabricating the shit out of this crime scene, cleaning it up amateurishly. And they went to school, and probably while actually going to this school, taking this car ride, they were thinking of an alibi. The detective also said that they found a journal in the home that revealed this premeditated plan to murder their mother quite for some time. So they were basically kind of like silent twins, you know, they were into writing, but they would write back and forth of how much they disliked the mom, and even saying that if they weren't to do it soon, they would never be able to get rid of her. Now he's looking for something else. Household conversations that only I'm doing a monologue. And before the trial even began, the two of them were held in different youth detention centers to keep them from comparing notes. Because again, you know, the main advantage being a twin, being a twin. Main disadvantage, being a twin. Cool, we got it. We got it, Bias. <laughs> Move the fuck on. And the trial, just from what I read, was just grim. So Tass immediately said, like, yes, she accepts pleading guilty. And during the trial, Linda Whitehead, so Nikki's mom, was the only family member to speak up in court. She said, quote, I would like to say today I'm a broken mother and a broken grandmother. I love my daughter, love my granddaughters. There are no winners here. End quote. Not to plug my merch, but this is why I say nobody wins, because nobody fucking does in these cases. And this one is particularly sad, because you lost your daughter, and then the granddaughters are the, one who, are the ones who have done it. So you lost, technically, your whole family in just one night, because now they're in prison, they're guilty. And it just fucks up a family relation, if, if I might say so, because then... Can you forgive? Can you ever forget? Once they're out of prison, can you have them for family dinners? Can you have them in prison? Are they going to be institutionalized? Or are they going to go to prison and suddenly be recovered? These totally different human beings. And prosecution here also couldn't ask for death penalty because juveniles are barred from capital punishment uh, punishment in Georgia where this was taking place. 
So they were charged for malicious murder, felony murder, and aggravated assault, and they got life sentence without parole. So they got 30 years. So once they get out of the prison, they will be in their 40s, so 46 and above. But however, they actually let just from what I've read, and I've read this only in one source, but it makes me think like nobody's okay in this story. Again, nobody wins. Just apparently managed to graduate high school in the slammer, and um, <laughs> I just love her. That was definite copy paste because when have you ever heard? me called jail slammer and she even served as a class valedictorian to which i say is anybody in this school okay first of all i didn't just volunteer this information that you know the girls were actually late and lying so they were kind of like you know i'm sorry i don't want the school to be part of the scandal so you know get this ccdv but do it on the sly and second if this is correct well I don't know what to, what else to say. <laughs> Just nobody fucking wins. Now let's go into the background and see where is this all coming from, this whole rage for their mother in general. So obviously there were a couple of rough backgrounds here. So Nikki herself, the mom, was born in prison. Her own mom was doing time for drug possession. And Nikki was therefore raised by her grandmother. And again... The grandmother, because she's a grandma, you know, like, people are more lenient with grandkids. She had a tough time keeping her just straight and going onto the rough path so that, again, she doesn't end up like her daughter. So it's just, again, a cycle in the family. At only 17 years old, Nikki ended up pregnant with twins, naming them Tas and Joss. So for 12 years, the trio actually lived with Nikki's grandmother, the girl's great-grandma. But Nikki always wanted to give these girls a better life. Like, everybody reporting on this, like, the friends, the family, the rest of the family said that Nikki loved these girls. Like, she was giving everything for them so that they don't have the life that she has experienced herself. This is when they moved 20 miles away from the family to Georgia. And she tried to give them all the disadvantages she didn't have putting them into dance and music classes. The girls at that point had like all straight A's at schools as well, so the mom actually had high hopes that they are going to go to Harvard one day. But at high school, they started rebelling and started resenting the mom's discipline. And soon Nikki noticed that she was losing control, and she noticed it when she took Tassi's cell phone. And also, she was putting enough strain for both of them. So on one night, Joss actually snuck out to see her boyfriend, Sneak, and Nikki actually called 911 on her. And this won't be the last time that Nikki turned on and called 911 on them. After another call, the twins just told the officers when they came to visit, they were like, we don't want to live with our mom, just take us away, we want to live with the grandma. And this is where the most chilling thing comes to me. And I was like, why did nobody prevent it? Why did nobody just take those twins, put them wherever they want to be? Because Nikki looked scared. She just looked petrified. So the officer Scruggs said that the girls seemed very innocent, very sweet. But the look on Nikki's face, she was fearful of them. And the quote, she knew that they worked together. That always just gives me the, the, the hair on my back, just stands up because you don't say that in normal situations you don't say like twins work together it's not a project it's not a puzzle they work together towards something that resulted in one of the most just gruesome scenes for 16 year olds and Scruggs actually described when he was called to the scene that Nikki actually ran out of the house with this cordless phone hysterical and he pulled up and was like what is going on like what is happening inside and he said the girls attacked her but then they go into the house, and once they talk to the twins, the twins just looked completely calm. They were like, what are you on about? 
So they were like, no, the mom actually is controlling and manipulating, so she just didn't want to let us anywhere and then started to beat us. But even then, this officer saw the scratches on the face on Nikki, so she, they clearly knew that Nikki was the victim here. And again, this Scruggs person has the best fucking quotes in this whole story. He said, you could, uh, you could have had two strangers and there would have been more emotion shown in the room. I'm not going to say that these two were psychopaths, but after listening to the videos of their interrogations, I'm just like, I'm just not, not convinced that they are not at least sociopaths to some degree. It's just, how? Like, there's no, like, actual valid reason for me to be like, okay, cool. No, your mom definitely abused you. Like, wow, your life was so hard. For me to be like, okay, this might actually justify what you have done. No, your mom wanted you to go to Harvard. Like, wow, what a tough life. And she didn't want you at the age of 16 to go out and sneak out during the night, which probably I wouldn't either because true crime. Yeah. Also because, again, try to understand your family history and why she doesn't want you out. Because she doesn't, again, want you to have the life that she did. And this all happened within 18 months span. A grade students to just their mom calling 911 on them constantly. So finally, they move in with their grandma. And again, they're blaming it on everybody but themselves. So like, oh yeah, no, our dad was in Jamaica. Like, he was never there. And the mom started dating this trucker guy, which she did. But again, the way that they are just describing it is just brutal. She's like, yeah, she started dating this trucker Robert Head. And it kind of seemed like she was a gold digger in this relationship. So we wanted to go with our grandma. You know, this was super abusive for us. But actually why they wanted to go and why the juvenile court ruled in the grandma's favor. Well, it ruled because of what they were saying. But why they wanted to go is because the grandma was very relaxed about security. So like kind of completely opposite from their mom. So immediately again speaks to you about premeditation that they have planned this and they knew the life that they would have with a grandma and they just kind of you know wanted to distance themselves so again what went wrong on this final occasion when they have seen the scratches on nikki they actually brought them all the way to juvenile court and the grandma was given custody which the twins found to be perfect because the grandma was very relaxed about the security but in late 2009, they had other problems when living with grandma because she was so lax. They would run away from home. They would do and vandalize things like they were causing problems on the street. So 2009, they were back to their mom because they were like, okay, this is at least like a more controlling environment. And truly, I think this is the moment where they have decided this was the point of no return. Even in the hallway of the juvenile court, Joss was apparently more upset. And she said, in the presence of Nikki, if I have to go live with you again, I'm going to kill you. Again, benefit of the doubt, how many times have you said, I'm going to kill you to somebody in person in your life, but you haven't killed them yet, hopefully. Really, hopefully. Please don't watch my episodes if you're a killer. Please, somebody. I just don't want somebody to one day come to me and be like, no, Maya, I watched your episodes and this is how I learned how to get away with murder and I'm still out there. Because I would, I would genuinely be like, so shukef, shukef. Where was I? So yeah, that was the point of no return. However, again, at this court, what was decided, and again, I read this from only one source, but this for me, again, speaks very much to their character. That is that they were given the option to actually go to grandma. So this was kind of like a test run. So like, okay, cool, you go to your mom. If again, 
you don't like it, you find it abusive or whatever, you don't find it a great environment, you have the option to go to grandma again and then try to behave so we don't end up in this situation. However, they still went on by their impulses and their impulsive decisions. And just to give you sort of a situation before the murder, so just before the murder, Linda, the grandmother, said that Nikki still feared the daughters and that there was nobody to protect her from her children in her own house. Before going to motives, okay, this is a personal story that nudges me and my mom has completely forgotten about it, but it just obviously, since this podcast and since I think about wise in every situation, I have had like an impulsive thing and this is the only time when I have like fired back in a case and even that wasn't violent or anything special. Basically, we had this balcony and apparently i don't even know how old i was but let's say five six definitely not like 16 and shit and i was so angry and so like seething inside for like a whole day and i've thrown like a slipper or something at my mom who was hanging in the laundry and this balcony and then and the slipper didn't even hit her or anything. It was just thrown in that direction and flew over to the market. And mom was like, oh, what are you doing? She didn't even, like, take it as if, like, I was unleashing my anger onto her. And she, she was like, okay, now go with your aunt. Go to the market and, like, try to find the slipper or whatever. It's like, what the hell are you doing? And when I mentioned it to her a couple of years ago, I was like, do you know why I was angry? And she was like, I don't remember this event. Like, what are you on about? <laughs> I completely don't remember. But it was so, like, impressionable in my head because I was like, where did this anger come from? Why do I have anger management issues? Like, I'm, like, five. <laughs> what the fuck? Why was I angry at you? Or so I could have probably, like, hit you hard and shit. But, sure. So, yeah, this is where I'm trying, kind of tracing, I'm tracing my anger management issues to, like, why and where they come from. But, yeah, this is the one event where I'm like, if you put me under hypnosis, people, people, who has been under hypnosis? If you have been under hypnosis, can you pinpoint these events and come back to them in particular and make it all crystal clear? Would I remember why I was angry that day that much to throw something at my parent? But yeah, I mean, this is like 20 steps further where they were actually attacking and pouncing on their mom, which again would be super scary as a situation to go into. I just find it so insane. And somebody also, again, it's not like when you're five and six and you're like rebelling, like, oh my god, oh my god, and like hitting your mom. It's like, no, this is injustice. You're like 16, like, you're going out with your boyfriends and then you're coming home and physically attacking your parent. That, I mean, just solves everything for me. So what motivated it you? I have looked into matricide for this case. So, like, why do people in particular kill their moms? And usually it is severe mental illness, a domineering mother, a hostile dependent relationship with the mother, a passive or withdrawn father, and overkill behavior. Which, I mean, in this case, it's literally almost everything from here. Except maybe mental illness, but again, I kind of do think that they might have some undiagnosed mental illness. And again, in most cases where the kids do kill, they come from dysfunctional families. So they pick up on this cycle that they have seen on repeat. So it's not so much the presence or the absence of abuse that separates the two groups, but the motive for the actual murder. So what triggered them at that particular time. This is, I found this next bit to kind of depict domestic violence and this in a certain case. Once you sort of try to actually 
get some action. So as we know, domestic violence victims are actually most in danger once they try to break up from the abusive partner. So in this case, it's sort of similar. So the dysfunction can range from extreme overindulgence. So when the parent finally attempts to set limits or boundaries, and then the teenager just goes into the deadly range, and then it's everything combined that just kind of fuels that range and pushes them over the brink. And the cops kind of blamed it on everybody, on the grandmother and the mother and everybody. They just said, like, the family just fried in chaos and they just seemed not to be able to step step out of this cycle or just kind of distance themselves and see what the situation really is and how serious it is. How could you have known? Because, yes, you have had people in your family go to prison for certain things, you have had teenage pregnancies, but how could you have known? This is like completely two different people, completely different set of people under different circumstances. Apparently up until two years, year and a half before all of this, they were straight A students. They were living their best life. They were had prospects to go to Harvard. How could you have known that this is going to escalate and go this far? So that's the case of the murder of Nikki Whitehead. Let me know what you guys think motivated the girls. I'm going to share something now, which I have kind of noticed as a pattern. I have probably mentioned it in one of the videos. I think it was the first True Detective T on, on YouTube channel, Maya Quit Her Office Job. If you're not watching that yet, please do. I do like shit on the work just to provide content on a weekly basis and it's kind of fun so yeah watch that but as you know kind of what tipped me over to actually start a podcast was this case from up north in the UK where a guy who was had seemingly perfect life again did I think even had masters was super smart had a great job was earning a great salary was my age well this was a few years ago so he was in like the early 20s Again, seem to have it, like, have a great, posh life in a way, even if you think about it. No childhood issues, no nothing, no chaos like this either. And then has just uh, stabbed his girlfriend. And I was like, why? How? How can people like me or you be pushed to do this? Hence, why? Motive and by all means necessary and all of that. And I think, like, from all of these cases, it's usually, again, the triggers that amount during a short period of time prior to murder that you just don't know how to deal with. And again, going back to domestic violence, that's kind of a similar thing. Suddenly, as a domestic abuser, again, again, don't think that I'm justifying any of this, especially domestic abusers, fucking hate those cunts, that's a special place in hell. But again, suddenly you see somebody fighting against you. You see somebody going completely against your values, against you. And then every, like all of the rage and everything that you have felt, suddenly you're like not in control any longer. And then you snap. In this case, again, with age, like they weren't on the same page of like what they wanted to do anymore. And their mom was just more and more controlling, having completely like different goals for the girls and because of the chaotic environment that everything was happening it just led to like worse and worse actions and it just led for them to snap so again it will be different reasons but from like the patterns that I have picked up it's usually something people aren't people don't know how to deal with because we all know like there is a lot of people that had difficult childhoods but came out of it stronger came out of it and learned from it and they moved on to do great things, but it's because of that trauma, like how they processed it. Or in different cases, it explains how people do become serial killers and stuff because they can't process what has happened to them since they were a kid. But in the situations where there was nothing like traumatic or of that sort, 
I do think it is usually that they are just unable to cope with whatever triggers them in the recent years and then there's just like a cutoff point in the snap. And truly in this case, I think the point of no return was when they were to go back to their mother because they just saw that as something they couldn't deal with. Again, don't think I'm justifying this too. No, Das and Jas were definitely a story for themselves. But look at that, looking at my imaginary watch here. No, I'm not drunk, you're drunk. <laughs> that was my favorite thing when I was at uni constantly. It was just, I would be that girl who'd be like, nah, I'm not waiting, you're waiting, you're you, I look at you, you know, it's not me, it's you. It's always, always passing the fault onto somebody else. Yeah, that's again what you don't do in the Zoom call. You're going into your next Zoom call. <laughs> when will we ever go back to going to physical meetings? Maybe never. But listen, time is of the essence. This is why this month's podcasts are shorter. No, they're not because of that. No, I just had to chill. Okay, listen. I just had to actually do like one case per episode a week, not like 20. I know, tragic. But as I was going through a hundred emotions today, figuring out how to deal with not having the same routine for at least a month now, I know, right? Hitler, <laughs> Hitler much. I thought about what was I doing different. How can I actually now, when I have more time again on my hands, what do I do with that time? How do I be wise with that time? So start having those conversations in your next Zoom call. Because I fed back to the company that I dislike, but I dislike them for plenty of reasons. But yeah, this is just one of them. And I was like, why are we just doing different tests? And there's no like focus, there's no direction, there's no like mission for the company. So yeah, I fed that back. I was like, you're spending so much time just being stuck in developing another process, another process. And I understand this is startups, all of that nonsense. But how about we focus for like a quarter, you know, one quarter of a year, yeah, onto this, and then we direct that. And then this didn't just sound like a complete waste of time. No, no. Cool, but they're probably not going to do anything without feedback. But you know, for my own personal work that I'm not getting paid for, take it. <laughs> take a you know wink wink merchandise everybody <laughs> trying to you know just support the girlfriend follow me on youtube just follow me somewhere just leave reviews just make me appear on you know some charts get some merchandise that would be nice i would support the girlfriend yeah but before that now that i have a few more hours to my week my immediate mindset because as i told you i'm like a mini hitler of routines and habits my immediate thing was like okay i can have like yet another video a week i can do even more work and i was like okay Yes, I can do that because there would be of a certain quality, but then I would have quantity as well. Or I can actually like try to work on the social media and actually distributing this and trying to promote the merch and promote everything to the public. And I'm like, I suck at that. I hate that because that's the part that I'm not good at. That's probably, again, as I said, the part that I would immediately give to another person, like take my social media. So yes, if anybody wants to volunteer, come at me. <laughs> that's the part that I'm, I'm fine not having complete control over, you know. I still like to do my research, probably editing as well, even though I hate it and I suck at it. But... I, I, I give it to you. It's fine. Just, just take it away. <laughs> so that's going to be what some extra hours are going to be going to. Me trying to promote this pod across everywhere yet again to try to actually get some followers, get some new listeners, get somebody to get the merch. <sighs> I hate it. It's going to destroy my mental health. But listen, it's just going to be a couple of hours. It's going to give me a new thing in a routine that then I will have to probably get rid of. Listen, this is, this is it. 2.0. This is your focus. So what was that point for the Zoom call? Yeah, time. 
discuss time. How do you choose a certain focus for the company? And then how much time you commit into that? Because it's never been a better time to discuss the time. Yeah. Wow. So, so deep. But now we have a plentiful of it. So don't waste it, motherfuckers. But until then, I mean, happy Monday. Yeah, this day can suck. It went from one energy to the next. Happy Monday. We're going to have a brilliant week, listen. I mean, it can't get any worse, truly, really, honestly. So, <laughs> until the next week, you, you make sure this week, right? This week and the next. And every single one of these days and times and hours and and hours and minutes and seconds you have of day that you make it a better place one more thing at a time <laughs> bye fuckers cheers to you and your family <laughs>